one of the gifts that I have is attention to detail, right? And so we see, so paying attention to what bothers me, paying attention to what kind of gets me excited and teaching our kids to do the same thing. What is it that gets you excited? What is it that gets on your nerve? We talked about pet peeves this weekend morning meeting. And paying attention, being self-aware enough to start building on those things. It's the Empowerment Perspective Podcast, hosted by Demiso Josie and Mr. Kareem Spence. Stay empowered. Stay All right, empowered. welcome to yet another episode of the Empowerment Perspective Podcast. I go by the name of Dr. Demiso A. Josie alongside. Spence is here. And. Hey, What's happening, guys? Um, back at it again. Still in quarantine, obviously, with everyone. Hopefully, Kareem has um, calmed down and, you know, hopefully he's in a better space. I thought we was going to lose him there for a second. But I think we found something that kind of distracted him. Um, my understanding is uh, we're, we're putting this big program together eventually, a couple of fundraisers, especially when we get done on the back end of this thing, too, um, involving a little bit of competition. Um, and I know Mr. Petty had went to the store. He had some problems, I think, last night or the night before trying to purchase this gaming system. Um, so, Mr. Chris, can you enlighten us? Well, here's, here's when you realize that there are not only just petty people in the world, but there are actually like petty corporations and, and petty stores. So I'll put them on blast. Um, about two days ago, came up with the idea when we talked about, you know, possibly doing a Madden tournament. And, you know, I used to be like a Madden god. Winning tournaments, got rings, paid for a whole trip, go to Jamaica, you know, and I go to uh, GameStop. Right. It's got a big sound store saying you can't buy nothing. Yeah, go online. Go online, try to get the game, you know, whole hour just waiting. You know, they sold me the game and everything. Then they sent me an email saying they got canceled order. So now I'm saying to myself that this is really petty. Call Jamie. Hey, listen, need a game. So she called around. She finally won in Lang City. I'm like, I'm not going into the midst of the quarantine zone just to buy a PS4. We're not doing that. <laughs> so she finds one over at Walmart. Meanwhile, I'm already in Walmart and I go online at the same time and I buy just a video game of um, Madden 20. A couple minutes later, Petty Company sent me an email saying they canceled my order. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. It was like almost two hours. So when I get home, I got to wait another hour and a half just to play the game because now you got to log on. You got to give them all kind of personal information. I didn't. I don't remember like a time where though you just couldn't sit down and play the game. I have no idea how the kids do this nowadays. <laughs> I remember that you used to be able to take the game, blow in the cartridge, and then you, you slide <laughs> it right in, and then you ball it. So the reason why we're bringing this up is that we're going to have a couple of fundraisers with uh, Madden tournaments. Uh, obviously, there is there are at home and they kind of need some downtime. So why not, you know, do it with a purpose? Um, it'll be an entry fee. Um, we'll raise money for families that are there. And we're going to have a Madden tournament. I have a 2K tournament. Um, as you, those of you following Pound Perspective Group, we have a big Christmas uh, fundraiser and, and Thanksgiving fundraiser. But now, obviously, we're in a time of crisis. So we're here to try to help and do whatever we can. So uh, we joked about the Madden thing, but we're going to put that in the work so we can have a little bit of fun and, and raise some money as well. Um, I guess I got to dust my sticks off a little bit, try to get back in there. But that's definitely coming. 
Um, on a previous podcast we had, we talked specifically about hip hop and the importance of hip hop. Mm -hmm. um, as those of you who follow us know that one of our presentations is how to reach into today's hip hop generation. Mm -hmm. So we talk about how to bring the hip, hip hop culture into the classroom um, so that those kids can identify um, with their culture and you know see their culture celebrated mm -hmm. within the lessons and things of that nature as a tool of engagement. So um, it was only right for us to do a podcast about hip hop. Um, I'll start with you, Jamie. How did you feel at that particular podcast? Um, I think it went really well. I think it's important to listen to your students, um, find out what is interested, what's interesting to them, because once you go into their world, you've engaged them and you've opened up, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to teach them, they're going to hold on to it so much faster. Got you. Kareem, how did you feel about that podcast? I mean, it, it was enlightening. I mean, that was the first time we actually had someone on that actually was a label owner. Um, and we got a chance just to be able to listen to him speak, you know, from the business side of hip hop. So often we, we focus on the creativity and the culture, but there's an actual business side of it that um, a lot of times loses like a lot of importance because like when it comes to education, you have to know how to conduct business. And I think that's what we're teaching our kids in order to be able to um, be in the room. So like I said on the podcast, you may not use algebra today because I know I didn't use it. I didn't use it last night. Um, I didn't use it three weeks ago, but it puts you in the room or other people that may be using it for their own benefit. Right, right, right. And, um, you know, from a business standpoint, and I've, we've been preaching this probably for the last four years, is that those of you who want to get into business, there's two sides of it, right? There's the content side of it and an actual business side. You have to be able to speak both languages. Um, unfortunately, uh, a lot of people go in businesses in love with the content side until they figure out, oh, like the business side is a little rough. I got to, you know, read up and study about a lot of different things I didn't know about, whether it's taxes, marketing, strategy, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that's a whole other podcast that we could talk about. But um, we also are talking about using this time wisely. So those of you who have aspirations of opening up your business, now is the time to start learning about the content, uh, the, the business side as well as the content side too. So and start practicing and, and using this time um, wisely. Mm -hmm. Using the time wisely, um, you know, as all we say, digging into the network. And I don't even know how we even got connected. Um, I believe it was through um, a relative of mine and kind of, uh, she was like, you know, somebody has this book out. I think you want to look at the book because she's doing some wonderful things down um, and down south. And I was like, all right, well, let me see and follow. And I started following her. Um, and then I, I guess we were kind of checking each other out behind the scenes in terms of our messaging and things that we were doing. Um, and then she had a, a live, I wouldn't say a podcast, but it was a live message the other day that I decided to, to hop in. And I was like, she was talking about some of the same stuff that we are talking about here at the Empowerment Perspective Group. Um, but a little bit different um, angle that she was coming in with, but um, I said, you know what? Let's see if she's willing to become on this podcast, to come on this podcast with us and chop it up with us about things that she has going on down in uh, New Orleans and down in the South. And she's an educator, she's a podcaster, she's a speaker, author. I probably missed five thousand other titles that I could probably put on there as well. Uh, but Ariane, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me, Demi. So I appreciate it. Thank you for um, joining us. Uh, we obviously, our goal here is to get enlighten people with some messages. Um, in our particular message, this particular podcast, we talk about living in your gift and ultimately mm -hmm. that's what you want to get within this particular podcast. But just to give people a little bit more of a background for you, you are an educator, correct? I am. I am. I've been um, an educator for about 19 years now. 
Okay. So uh, we always start, we're big on the why, why people get into mm -hmm. doing things that they do. Um, so why did you get into education in the first place? Wow, that's a good question. Um, two reasons. Uh, my mom and my fourth grade teacher. Uh, my mom was a paraeducator or a teacher's assistant for about 23 years. And um, she valued education. And that, it's not that she said it with her words, but she said it with her actions. Uh, growing up in New Orleans, I'm number eight of eight kids. And um, mom, I could tell she valued education because we weren't, we didn't have a lot of money, but she would make sure that we walked to the library to check out books. And then we would write reports for her. And uh, she showed up to our award ceremonies and she came to teachers conferences and uh, she checked to see if we had done our homework. So I knew from her that education was paramount. It was important. And uh, so it started there just with developing that love for learning. And it carried into my fourth grade classroom. The first day I walked into the classroom, uh, Miss Flora Weber, the late Miss Flora Weber, um, she wrote her phone number on the board. And that was in that time. I know it may not be a big deal now, but, you know, because we all see our teachers and people that we admire on social media and things like that. But at that time, we didn't have social media. We didn't have cell phones. Uh, and for a teacher to step into that vulnerability of giving out her phone number to a classroom full of fourth graders who she knew was going to play on her phone, she wrote her mm -hmm. number anyway. And mm -hmm. she, said, she introduced herself and she said, whenever you need me, this is my number. Just give me a call. And from that moment on, I knew that I wanted to have that same impact on other kids. And that was the the going from the love of learning to actually embracing uh, the the passion for for teaching and reaching young people. Gotcha. The one thing that you said that kind of struck for me, and I started thinking um, because it seems like you know my mother, my grandmother, um, the older generation always expressed that, you know, the, the love for education. And they always kind of pushed it. Yes. But this current generation, I'm not necessarily seeing that same push right now yes. for some reason. I'm just gonna throw this out to anyone. Why do you think that that generation was, you know, so you know, pushing education as, as, as paramount versus what we are seeing today? Um, actually, I'll, I'll start with you, Farouk. Well, well, that's the thing. So when we're looking at the previous generation, so we're actually looking at, um, parents that was probably born around the 40s, 50s, and maybe even the 60s. Mm -hmm. um, so for them and what they had to go through as far as like Brown v. Education and, and seeing how the opportunities were limited for people of color. So for them, that became a, a huge push to make sure that their children had the opportunity to have, you know, an equal, um, equal education. Um, and I think that's what was the mainstay. And people knew back then that education was a great equalizer. So regardless of the economic background, regardless of Jim Crow, regardless of any other barrier that people tried to throw in front of people of color, we always knew that education was the greatest equalizer. And the more you're able to obtain, the more opportunities you're going to have later on in life. Gotcha. So, Jamie, now you're in the classroom um, and you've been there for multiple years. Right? Do you see a difference in the, in the value of, of education versus, let's say, what your parents have instilled in you? I do see um, a difference in the value of education. I don't know if it's parents not wanting their children to learn. I just think that we live in a society today where moms have to work, dads have to work. 
there's a lot of single parents out there. So not everyone has someone home with them that's going to be able to sit down with them and make sure their work is done. It's it's a, a different lifestyle. Gotcha. Now, Ariana, you seeing the same thing? I, I, I am. I see from both angles. I see it from Kareem's perspective. I also see it from Jamie's perspective. Um, I do think that there is... Um, there is the, the generation of my mom's generation, which was, you're exactly right, 1941. My mom was born in 1941. So she was able to get a glimpse of what it was like to, mm. uh, to, to not have any other options in that sense, right? And I think that today we have what we consider so many other options where one point you had to have a degree you had to have uh certain as far as academically and now we're seeing you can become insta famous you those things mm -hmm. that that is has kind of crept in and uh clouded our judgment as it relates to the importance of education got you for me i feel like that i'm paying homage to those who paved the way for me like people died for me to have the right to be in, in education Right. So now I'm wondering this next, like my kids and this, that, that following generation for me, are, what is there going to be their, uh, I guess, draw to wanting to give back? Because, I mean, it, it was a different time in the you know, 50s and 60s, the, the Brown versus Board of Education, people dying and stuff like that. Um, but this generation, I'm kind of almost struggling with, um, you know, what legacy, I guess, are we leaving, you know, this the, the generation that, that's following? Um, anybody wants to speak on that or maybe i'm going a little crazy but i just see that there's not the same obviously the same circumstances are not in existence now as they were back then but i don't know like i'm wondering if who are going to be the educational leaders that this next generation is going to be like i want to be like dr julie i want to be like all right like i don't is that is that i think it's i guess i think it's i think it's happening to me so i don't think that it i don't think we have um i, I think that there is hope and just in the small circles like this, uh, where we're having the conversations and we're making sure that we in our personal lives keep it in the forefront as far as making it important. And I know um, just personally, it's, it's, it's a challenge for me because you talked about business and you talked about me being an educator and it, has been a, it hasn't been an easy road, but I can look back and see the hundreds of families that I've been able to impact just of the one decision I made was to not settle for the status quo in education. So um, I, I think that we're, we're all making those marks in our own personal communities and it's gonna catch on. So I'm very hopeful for that. Yeah, I mean, I, I see it when you have like one-on-one -on -one conversations with, with certain students, their interest is to really to come back into the education realm and to help. So even though it may not be as politicized as it once was in the, the 50s and 60s and having the right to be able to attend school, the, the kids feel it. They feel the pushback. They, they even feel that they, at times, are not even wanted in the academic field. Mm -hmm. So they, they eventually going to have that internal drive that is going to be um, sparked by a teacher that is going to be, I don't know, negative towards them. Uh, not compassionate, rude, ignorant, disrespectful. So it's going to be them that's going to say this. So, you know, well, I'm going to go back and make sure that nobody has to be treated like that. So it's yeah. still going to be there. 
Right. Now, on the previous podcast, we talked about the hip hop generation being a bunch of kids that kind of set the course for, for the culture and, you know, their um, rebellion against the, the system and not having um, the necessary tools and stuff that everyone else had. And they kind of created something out of nothing. And I'm looking at this current generation and these kids are speaking to me and saying that this current system of education, of public edu- education is not right for them. Right. Yeah. And they're saying that, you know, I'm bored. I'm not, you know, I don't want to go to school. They're telling us that this current situation and system is not right. Does this generation have that same rebellious nature, I guess you would say, would be able to take and rewrite education as we currently know it? Um, do we as educators give our young people enough power to do that? Um, as it, I guess it kind of relates to uh, the hip hop culture, because we kind of gave them the space to, to do it. And you see that what happened when you let these kids have this voice. Do we as educators give these kids a voice and really listen to them and, and, and make the necessary changes? And the reason I'm asking this question, Ariana, because I kind of I think part of your story is you started in, in public education and yeah. was frustrated by it and then kind of went a different direction. Um, so I'm yeah. going to put it in the context of, of, of these kids today. Um, and are we really listening to them as adults, I guess, in the, in the long run? Well, I'll say this. In my own personal experience in school, I know that, and I've, now people may not like this, but when a teacher was like popping me in my hand with them, um, like with the really thick rulers, <laughs> that that saved me from them having to call like the Division of Child Protective Services when I was touching people I shouldn't touch. So again, my, my story is that after we came in from playing lunch, she said, come on, hold your hand out. And it was like five of us, hold your hand out. So she popped us with the rulers and said, now go ahead and see if you're going to touch her on the butt again. See if you do that again. So that ended all of that. It wasn't, it wasn't a Catholic school. It was a public school. No, right? it's a public school. This is second grade. And then I had, like, I don't know what kind of fourth grade teacher um, that um, Ariana had, but my fourth grade teacher threw, like, a staple at me. Like, he launched it. It was one of the big metal ones. <laughs> But but again, that that was that was education, and it was teaching values. It was teaching character. It was allowing me to fail. Right now, we're stuck in a generation where everybody feels entitled. That if it's not going my way, my way, then you need to fix it. If I can't get to this honors program, then I need to petition the teacher. I need to petition the board of education. Never mind the fact that you just may not be able to do the work. But no, I need to get in because I feel like I'm entitled to be there. And I think that's the difference between this generation and a generation that I came from, where a teacher was allowed to take you in the courtroom and air you out if you weren't acting right. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely, I, I think to, to your question, uh, are we giving them a voice? I can, I've seen both sides of it. I've seen being in the public school system and seeing that side of it. And it, it, it is it is a challenge in the public school system to give them a voice because we're so um we're so preoccupied with making them helping them to fit into the boxes that we've created, the standardized testing and and being concerned about us and our scores and making sure that we don't lose our jobs at the end of the year. So it it becomes a little bit difficult when you're in the public school system or in the charter system or whatever it is when there is a box that the kids have to be in. Uh, on, on my end, one of the reasons that I did what I did is because I wanted to make sure I, I, I tell my parents, I want to help you help to develop independent thinkers. 
kids are going to think for themselves. And uh, it, it can be a challenge, but in, in the setting that uh, I've been blessed to be able to be a part of, I'm able to give them more of a voice than I did when, than I was able to when I was in the public school system. And so that's the, that's the beauty of kind of stepping out of that box and doing it on your own is because that is one avenue, not saying that those teachers in the public school system are not able to do so, but it gives you an avenue to be able to say, it doesn't matter. Um, I don't have anybody looking over my head telling me what I have to do or what I cannot do with the students that, um, that I serve. Now, Jamie, do you, as a teacher in the public school system, do you feel like that your your teaching is actually being hindered by the box that you're put in from a systematic perspective? Absolutely, because we have a curriculum that we have to follow. Yes. Um, there's a standardized test that students are going to be given at the end of the year. So as a, a teacher, you have to find the middle place where you can reach your students and also make sure you're covering everything that you need to in that pacing guide to prepare them for the test. So it kind of goes both ways. It's you have to do research every day to find the middle for your students. Gotcha. Um, now, you, you talked about um, getting these kids to start thinking for themselves. And one of the messages that we kind of share with each other um, is, is, you know, we believe that everyone has a gift, right? Yeah. So how do we get people to recognize what their individual gift is. We can start with young people, then I want to shift over to adults, because I think there's two different approaches that we probably need to take um, with that. But um, I always have people come up to me like, you know, well, how do I find my gift? What is your answer to, to finding, someone finding their gift? Ah, if I, if I had to choose the main thing, I think it would be self-awareness. Self-awareness, knowing and, and listening to uh, what happens when, right? So when, when, when something's out of place, I know for, for instance, when I walk into the classroom, my students are like, Miss J, you always find out, you always see what's wrong first, right? And when, and I'm talking about if a chair is out of place or if a student doesn't have on the uniform or, right? So I know that for me, one of the things that works for me, or one of the gifts that I have is attention to detail. Right. And so we see. So paying attention to what bothers me, paying attention to what kind of gets me excited and teaching our kids to do the same thing. What is it that gets you excited? What is it that gets on your nerve? We talked about pet peeves this weekend morning meeting and paying attention, being self-aware enough to start building on those things. So I think that that's the first thing is just helping our kids to become self-aware and to, to pay attention to their bodies and their, and their reactions to things. Um, if, if music just sends you to a whole nother level, there may be something in that that, that you tap into to, uh, to find your gifts. So I think self-awareness. Gotcha. One of the tools I try to tell parents, especially when you're talking to their kids, um, instead of asking your kid, how was school today? I, I always try to tell them to change the narrative and, and say, how did you feel when in, in gym class? Because kids learn based upon feeling, right? They'll be able to tell you how they felt throughout the course of the day. Um, yes. So to me, that's tapping into your, your self-awareness. Well, you know, I, I felt bored in class today. You know, then we can get into the why you felt bored. I yes. think conversations will be a little bit more healthy uh, when we start dealing with children's feelings because you know when you're little you don't learn that the stove is hot by someone telling you like you touch it you feel it it's hot <laughs> you, are, you feel it. It. yeah so <laughs> learn through feelings and to be able to tap into that 
um, I think is important. Now, Karina, this is probably a little bit in your wheelhouse being a counselor. Um, how, how do we go about trying to instill it, find it, helping these kids find their gift and what their, their, their talent is? I mean, even when you start, you know, engaging them about feelings, you, you have to educate them on how or the differences between certain feelings, because there's a difference between anger and there's a whole different difference between like rage. That's two different ball games. So you can be angry about something, but when you become raged or enraged, that becomes uncontrollable. Like we, we tell our students and we tell certain adults that anger is a bad thing. To me, anger is not a bad thing. It's 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 what you need to use as fuel to get stuff done. It's it's people there are complacent. People are just happy with the status quo. Like they don't have to be angry about nothing because they don't want anything to change. But if you want to change anything, then you have to use that anger in order to be able to get things done. So if if we're looking to find out what your your gift is, we have to figure out what you're passionate about. And like with my piggyback, what was said before, you know, what actually bothers you? Like you walk in the room and you see something wrong. What is it that's that you feel that's really that's wrong and you can make right? So the, the gift in itself many times will find you. So rather it's going to be something you had to go through, rather it's going to be pain. Somehow, some way, the gift is actually going to find you. And then once you find it, now what happens is that now you have to start building the foundation so that you can be um I want to say serious enough to be able to taste it because a lot of things that anger me, it may be good for one day, but after tomorrow, I'll get bored with it. But it has to be something that's truly passionate, that's connecting to you and it's going to benefit your family. I think we got to be careful too between the difference of doing what you want versus doing mm -hmm. what you're gifted to do. Because, um, you know, you're looking at my career, I wanted to be in television, but it just didn't mm -hmm. feel right for me. You know I mean, I felt like a piece of machine. Um, but when I volunteered, when I coached, I, you know, mentored, and I started, you know, I fought my gift for so long, I realized that it just comes easy to me. It comes natural. I feel passionate about it, but it just comes easy to me. Um, and then got to teaching. And then when you find your gift, it's about putting it in a different vehicles, um, which we talk about all the time on here. And, and, you know, which the Empowerment Perspective Group is really all about is getting people to live their gift in different vehicles um, and trying to find what you know with vehicles comfortable but don't limit yourself to this is only my lane and saying and really broaden your your horizon ariana i heard one of your speeches and i think you talked specifically about um putting your gift in different vehicles can you uh, i guess expand on that a little bit yeah yeah definitely um that and i actually was speaking at an empowerment seminar and i was uh talking about the switch from uh being in the public school system and hating 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 waking up in the morning, hating, waking up, my face would break out. My husband would, sometimes he would be like, what's wrong? Like, what is the problem? And I absolutely hated it, but it did not match with the fact that I've wanted to teach since I was in fourth grade. So mm. those two things were, uh, they appeared to be polar opposites. What was going on? So I realized that I can, I, I, I don't have to leave education. I can leave public school system because I hate waking up, right? And that's that self-awareness. It wasn't that I hated teaching. It was that I hated feeling like a failure because I woke up every morning and I had kids who could, didn't know how to read, didn't know how to write, didn't know how to do math. And it was my job to teach them to pass a test in March. So I woke up every morning feeling like a failure, like I was failing my kids. So I hated getting up in the morning but self-awareness helped me to see it's not that you don't enjoy teaching. It's not that you don't love your students. It's not that you don't 
enjoy being in a uh, in a community with your colleagues, but you've got to find another vehicle. So that's why I decided, okay, but the public school system is not for me. Mm-hmm. And that's when I decided that I was going to start my own school. Right. I don't want people to think really that you have to make a drastic change because once I started listening to what you were saying, um, mm-hmm. I had the same feeling in the previous school. Like I would sit in the parking lot, my stomach would be turned. I have a 45 commute and I'm sitting there cursing all the way. <laughs> all the way to- <laughs> we don't want to do this anymore. Like this is like every day. I would literally sit in my car and pray like for 10 minutes and like take deep breaths before I walked in the building. Um, and I've realized that every situation, your gift isn't made for every situation, right? So that the culture and climate of that particular school, it just my gift wasn't fitting right in there. So it was time for me to, to make that move. And and even though I basically went from the, the same setting, but the cultures were different. So my gift fits a little bit um, better within there. So at the same time, once you recognize what your gift is, don't waste it in, in, a, yes. in a culture that's just not meant for your gift. Um, I know a lot of people will stay and in, 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 let's say the teaching profession because they are they are gifted with the gift of teaching, but that particular culture and climate may not be what's right mm-hmm. for your gift. It might be right yeah. for them, but not right for yours. And I know uh, I left my man Kareem. Actually, I left Jamie too. I left y'all a little bit. Behind. Uh, I just I can't do it anymore. It was traumatized behind that. <laughs> You know, the bottom of my heart, but I, I just couldn't do it. Um, so, Jamie, do you feel like that you're, you're living in your gift or you, you do feel like this is what you were meant to do? I know it's a tough So, um, I've gotten past the point of worrying about my kids' test scores and I teach special ed. So, they are, they're not going to pass the standardized test. That can't be what fuels me every day to go into my classroom and teach. So, at the end of the day, if they've learned whatever it was the lesson is, if they come back the next day and they ask if we can do something again or if we can watch something again, I know that I've reached my students. And that's what yeah. has to fool me, not what a test score is going to be at the end of the year. I also can't go into my classroom and worry about what everyone else in the building is doing and if they're recognizing what I'm doing in my classroom because I know that I'm reaching my students. They're at my door all the time. They're seeking me out in the hallway. I can't worry about everyone, everyone else. But here I come, Mr. Administrator, with his, his uh, clipboard. I'm ready to do your observation. And oh, I'm, yes. I'm judging mm-hmm. your teaching ability based upon this system, right? Mm-hmm. Like, do you really, I guess, lack of a better word, really care what I'm writing on this clipboard? Because at the end of the day, it's more about what you see in your kids or it, you know, are you really passionate about this observation that I'm giving that I don't even I, believe in myself? Yeah. I want everybody wants a good observation, but again, what one person sees, another person may not, and vice versa. So just because you see it doesn't mean someone else is. And I can't let that guide me in regards to what I'm doing. If I know I'm a good teacher, then I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing. Right. I hear you. Even on my end, I get observed too. And I have nine times a time, I don't even read it. I just say I sign it. <laughs> if I, if you were to tell me if I'm doing something really that bad, you've already told me. I'm not listening. That's that's my. All right, whatever. It doesn't even matter. Um, Kareem, how are you taking observation based upon your your Well, it's 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 different for me and in a counselor role because 
now I've established like a personal relationship with the student and they trust me in the conversations that we have are supposed to remain private. Now you want to observe what we're talking about and I have to bring a third party in to listen to some sensitive information that people are sharing. So for me, I don't, I don't even allow that to happen. I'll do a social skills group, something that um, the kids are not even going to realize that the other person is in the room. Um, I, I try to protect their privacy. Um, I try to protect their trust. Um, but when, when we have, you know, a standardized form to say that the conversations that I may or may not be having can be like beneficial or it, it's hard to tell in education because we don't know what the end, end result is going to be for 15, 20 years. You don't know the conversation that you have today may, yes. may change a person's course in 15 years. So to come in yeah. that for 30 minutes and say, well, you're doing a good job. Well, I think it says something to a kid because I have a tendency to do stuff like that, that the kid or somebody else may not like because they may not understand our relationship. I have the ability to say something to somebody and they be like, man, he doesn't get upset. No, he doesn't get upset. I'll tell the kid in a second, listen, man, you're petty. I'll tell him in a second, you're petty. And someone else may take offenses, but sometimes when you outside looking in, you may not understand the true dynamics of like rapport and personal relationships. Right. And I think from an observer's perspective, like I was never a guidance counselor, right? I know because my job requires me to know what guidance counselors do, but I don't know the deep details and how to really get kids to respond to certain ways. I would do personally, but I really don't know intricate details. So how is an observer really going to be able to, to observe you Accurate. Not effective. You don't understand every little element to it. It's it's really, it's crazy. Here, here, here's here's what I like, right? I like when they bring me a kid that's crying, right? And it may take me, you know, two, maybe three hours to fix them to be able to get them to go back. And they'll come past my office and say, "They still here? Yeah, they still here because it takes time. Like they don't like truly understand. There's nothing. It's not a knock on administrator, but they don't understand like the the intricacies of someone's like. When they upset, it takes hours. And I can't put somebody back in the classroom, especially if they're going off and they're saying they're going to fight somebody. I can't put them back in that environment because they go back and they punch somebody in the face. Then they're looking at me like, well, why didn't you talk to them? I did. But they right. still want to punch them in the face. Uh, yeah. I mean, sometimes <laughs> people need to get punched in the face. I will say that sometimes. <laughs> I'm telling you, listen, when, when I was in school, I reflect back on this whole like bullying thing. You knew exactly who to mess with and who not to. Like you yes. can talk about people that you knew you couldn't beat because you knew on the way home is going to be a real big circle and you're going to get it handed to you. You don't talk back yes. to people. Yeah. Mm. You, you don't. Mm. But now it's like if somebody says something to you, you know, and, and I don't want to like downplay, you know, like bullying now because I know that it can be detrimental to the mental health. But reality is sometimes you need that. Like you need for people to give you negative comments because, again, that may they may even push you to do something that you need to do. True. This is true. Um, I want to get into your transition a little bit, Ariane, in terms of going from public school to, to your, your, I guess, what you're doing now. Um, because I think a lot of people, when they do what you do and you know create businesses, they think it's it's all fun and games and it's sweet. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to have any problems, or I'll be able to handle the the rough problems. Um, I guess explain 
to us and the audience, like, how do you handle the setbacks? How do you handle the, the disappointments? How do you handle your vision not coming? You have a vision, but it may not be exactly what, you know, it is right now. You, know, you understand what I'm saying? So how, yes, how, indeed. Yeah, I definitely, oh, I understand. I understand clearly what you're saying um leaving leaving the public school system and it's it's been nine it made we made nine years in this past february so about nine years ago leaving the public school system all i had was my short-term vision i didn't know what what it was going to look like nine years from from 2011 and i i had no clue um i had never run brick and mortar business. We had done some real estate, you know, that kind of thing, but I had never run a brick and mortar business. So this was all brand new to me. And uh, I look back now and I'm like, wow, how did, how did we even do it? I'm talking about something as simple as uh, unemployment, you know, somebody filing an unemployment claim, <laughs> just something as simple. I'm gonna jump off just a little bit real quick with this whole Corona thing. I got a letter, you know, and somebody's filing for unemployment, but he hasn't worked for us for five years. And so mm. in the in the beginning, I didn't even know that was a thing. So I would see the letters, but I would take too long to respond. I would, you know, so it's those little things that snowball the taxes, mm. making sure you are properly uh, deducting things and making sure things are, uh, your accounting is in line. And especially now we're dealing with money from the state where our students, some of our students come in with scholarships and things like that. So um, dealing with it is, there is twofold. One is being patient with the process. Like mm -hmm. truly understanding that I am not going to know everything there is to know about running a school. So being patient with myself, but at the same time being willing to learn. So looking for the resources and being in every webinar I can be in and being in every meeting I can be in and talking to as many people that I can put my mm -hmm. rooms with people who have done it or who know somebody who has done it. Right. And I think that that's it. So just being resourceful is one thing. And then uh, on the other side of that is just being patient with the process. Um, in 2018, the summer of 2018, I we were looking and we were upside down. We were in the red. It was difficult to even pay the lease payment because we had lost so many students from mistakes that I made the prior year, right? Losing a lot of families, and but I had to stay the course. And then and now this coming year, we're going to have more students than we've had in our whole nine years. So stay in the course and being patient with the process. Definitely. That is, that is a great lesson to learn. Patience. <laughs> I, I, I do have a question. So when, when this guy decided he was going to apply for like unemployment <laughs> after like been gone five years. Yes. Did you go to his house and be like, hey, listen, I got all this to do. I'm, I'm in the red. And you gonna you gonna you gonna send me this letter? I'm in the red. I got students missing. You gonna send me this letter? No, but I'm no, but what I did do is I I because they give you 10 days. It's a short, short window to respond. And I, mm -hmm. I pulled his file and I gave all the data to support I, 2015. He hasn't worked for us since 2015. And I made sure I faxed it right back to make sure that. There's because, of course, that counts against me uh, as far as unemployment insurance. So it's little things like that. You're mm -hmm. trying to put on my unemployment insurance um, and right. you haven't worked for us for five years. So, yeah, I didn't go to his house, uh, but no, I was. Yeah. 
Like, I got all this to deal with. All this, you see all the, I'm going to show them all the mail that I have to answer. And like, you want to send me this little, yes. this what you, this, my what you want me to spend my time on? Wasting my time, yes, mm -hmm. a waste of time. Now, Kareem and Jamie, technically, yeah. you're not employees of the Empowerment Perspective, so you cannot file for un unemployment. <laughs> you, know, you technically are still working for free as volunteer on vacation because hey. I will pull up to your house. <laughs> 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 Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Ariane, you also wrote, um, you're an author as well. Um, speak about yeah. the, the book mm -hmm. that you have written. Um, I, you know, actually, why did you even write, write it in the Ooh. first That's a good question to me. So uh, I thought that, I thought that the problem that I was seeing in the, in the, in the classroom as far as apathy with parents uh, not not caring about, or at least not seeming to care about whether or not their kids did homework, whether or not they showed up on time, uh, whether or not they uh, studied for tests, just things like that. I thought that uh, it was a maybe a public school issue, and mm -hmm. that once once they were paying tuition, because at my school they pay tuition, mm -hmm. I said, well, maybe once you know maybe i'll see a difference in parents and maybe they'll be more involved and more engaged in the process if they're paying me not so much right so i i got once again and and a lot of the things that i've done are born out of frustration so once again i'm becoming frustrated because i'm thinking okay i'm working really really hard to make sure your kids are getting the best education possible and the least you could do is partner with me and so it started off as sort of a rant. It's called, uh, the book is called Teach Your Own Kid, Schools Can't Do It Alone. And um, that was in 2017 that I started writing that. And uh, it was basically a rant in the beginning of like, hey, you know, you're your child's, my first chapter is you are your child's teacher, right? But when I started giving it to my focus group to just kind of read through it for me, some parents, uh, different parents that I'm connected to, uh, they were like, you sound angry. Why are you so angry? <laughs> because I was. Um, but I did, but I, I, that sh caused me to shift and change the tone of the book to more of a guide and a, a, a way to help build the bridge. Because I realized the more I talk to parents, they don't necessarily understand, some of them, what we need and how to work with us on behalf of their kids. And then sometimes we don't understand what they need from us. So the book, in, a, in essence, is an attempt to try to bridge the gap. There's one chapter where I say, this is what teachers expect from you. Something as simple as, if your baby is in kindergarten, check her book bag. Mm -hmm. There may be a note in there. There may be, there could be anything. Just check the book bag on a daily basis. So it's something as simple as that, all the way up to uh, if, if your child comes home and says that uh, Miss J said X, Y, Z, Call me and talk to me first before you go to the principal and say, my child said X, Y, Z. So it's those little things that you think that somebody should know, right? Or you th they think that we should know how to handle uh, certain things. But I think it's a, a, um, an attempt to kind of get the dialogue going and uh, in, improve communication between the school community and the families. Now, Jamie, I'm gonna throw this question to you. Uh, and when you were talking, uh, it kind of made me think about, like we're in a service industry, technically as educators, we're, we're servers. Yes. And I think there's a, 
uh, a part of the issue is that in any other service industry, like if I go to a restaurant, I pay money. You're supposed to serve me, and and you know I'm I'm, so, I'm paying for your service, right? I'm not supposed to do any work on the back end. And I think there's a lot of confusion, even though it's my kid, I still obtain this organization for them to learn soccer. Like it's it's always I pay, you do the service type thing. And uh, I guess Jamie, is you think that? That could possibly be part of the issue outside of the fact that parents may not know how to help their kids, but they're just stuck in. I pay, I'm paying you. My taxes are paying your salary. You're supposed to teach my kid, and that's that's your job and your responsibility. Do you think that's an overwhelming mentality of, of parents today? I think that it, it's interesting that you say that because I think that right now, with us doing the virtual education that we're doing, um, I found that. Some students and some families have stepped right up and have gotten online and have done the work that they need to do. And some families expect you to call their house every single day and let you know what they've missed and what's expected yeah. of them and what's due by the end of the week. So this has really opened up my eyes in regards to who is stepping in and doing what they need to at home and who still expects us to be in their household with their children, even though we're not even in school right now. I would have called that parent and listen, I'm going to call you every single day and let you know. Karina, <laughs> you think that's part of the, part of the issue is this, this concept of service and I'm paying you a service that you're supposed to provide for my children. That's your job. You teach. It's, it's, well, I, I think when you say like service, I think of like that fondue place. Whereas though they would bring you like raw food and bring you like a fire and then bring you like melted cheese. <laughs> I was never really a big fan of that. Like I'm not coming to the restaurant so, you know, I can cook my own food. I could have done that at home. Um, but I think that in, in terms of education, we, we definitely need to have like a partnership. And I think that partnership, if it's not established early or the, the parents are, are not familiar about the education process, now what happens is that we lose them. And when we call them, the only time we call them is when we got bad news. I'm not going to answer the phone. I'm going to swipe right to the left. I'm not accepting the call. No, I don't care how sick he is. You need to handle it, give him an aspirin or something, and put him on the bus. I'm not coming to get him. So I, I think that early, like we, we miss out with being able to build foundations with parents and get them directly involved in education. Because by the time they get to middle school, Man, it's like only time you call me is when you got something bad to say. It's it's like one of your friends. Only time you call me is when you need something. Don't even call me. I don't even want to talk. <laughs> that is true. Um, you also have another book out, correct? I do. I do. I released this one in uh, this past October on my 40th birthday. It is it is totally unrelated to education in the sense that it is a book written for women. It's called uh, Under Pressure: A Woman's Guide to Resisting the Urge to Quit. And I wrote that this past summer when uh, my mom was given two weeks to live. So mm. that one I, I released in 2017. Mm. 2019, I'm sorry, this past October. Gotcha. So you get mad and all of a sudden you just start writing books? Is that how you do it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, this, one, this one was more grief, more not wanting to sink into depression, wanting to create. Okay. So. That, but that's what I do. I notice that, and that's that self-awareness. I didn't know this about myself. When I look back over the things that I've created from the school to the two books, uh, it was all born out of pain. Okay. So pain can pain can cause you to uh, to really if if you if you channel it, 
it can cause you um, to create light. So that that's what I'm not about myself as well. Yeah. Hmm. So we're in our perspective pain. That's exactly what we're born out of. Pain, right? Absolutely. Um, and realizing that there's things that you can't change, but you can change how you look at certain things. Yeah. yeah. And once you change your perspective and use it as a source of motivation and empowerment, then um, I think it actually well, you'll be a lot farther in life, um, I believe. Um, I think a lot of people obviously are hung up on things that they can't change, and, and you yes. know, let them, you know, swallow them in and put them in that in that in that box. But until you learn how to step outside of yourself and step outside of the situation, you say, "All right, what can I use from this? It's messed up. Absolutely. What can I use from this?" Yeah, um, yeah. Where can people find your books? Uh, great question. Uh, teachyourownkid.com, teachyourownkid.com, and ariannecraigjala.com. So A-R-I-A-N-N-E-C-R-A-I-G-J-O-L-L-A.com. Awesome. We'll definitely put that up on the, um, the video as well. You have a podcast, correct? I do. I, I have, well, I have 65 episodes of Teach Your Own Kid, and I put it on pause when my mom got sick, so I haven't, it's been a minute, so I have a lot of archived episodes, and I'm in the process of deciding what I'm going to do as far as I want to merge and kind of get, I, I love the empowerment uh, concept, and I think that all of those things can go under that umbrella, so that's what I'm in the process of revamping. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So we want to switch gears a little bit um, on this podcast. We like to have fun near the end of it. Um, so we have two segments that we talk about. And I know I kind of already figured know where Dream's going to go with his. So I'm actually not going to start with his yet. Um, so we have <laughs> Danny Roberts, who's our two-foot assassin. So um, <laughs> her segment is called All Things Little. And she talked about one thing little that she hates. So while she goes over that, Ariane, I want you to think about one thing that's little that you hate. So, Jamie, the floor is yours. Okay. Try not so, to make green. I'm, I'm, I've already destroyed his self-esteem last night, so I'm good for I, today. Listen, I, I have a closet full of self-esteem. I, I, I have a room of self-esteem. So just know that you got a lot more work to do. You think you're going to mess around with my self-esteem. I love me. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> so small. Um, I really, really dislike small lies because small lies turn into bigger lies and bigger lies, and they manifest into this huge thing that people try to cover up when really, if you would have told the truth initially, then that small lie wouldn't have become this great big thing. I have a problem now, Jamie, because okay. of the episode, we talked about telling someone their age, and you uh -oh. told a lie. <laughs> uh -oh. No, I didn't say I lied. I said, if you can't tell me, I'm not going to tell you. That's different than lying. But you said, if I said, like, say, 33, you said you would go with that. Yeah, I'm 33. That is a lie. A no, lie. you said it. Not me. You but said it. Nope. You, if I say it, it's a lie. <laughs> so if you say it, I'm disagreeing with you. That's different. Okay. Uh, I am perplexed. Um, <laughs> I, I think about the times when Somebody wanted to look through my phone and they're like, what's your passcode? And they're like, I don't remember. So I don't know if that's like technically a lie if I don't know. 
my passcode, mm-hmm. open up my phone. See, look, if you look at the ladies, the ladies are look, they confused. Like, what you mean he doesn't know his yeah. password? It's confused. Uh, so I don't know. I, I think he knows his password. He knows his password. I'm right with yeah. you, Kareem, because they got that face recognition thing now. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Like, which passcode? I don't really know what it is right now. I, I forgot it. Yes. Your face changed? What happened? I'm just saying, like, me use your phone. I don't know if my phone's working right now. T Mobile shut the phone off. So. <laughs> You're funny. All right, one thing little. One thing little. Uh, I'm going to have to go with cats. Cats? Cats. Oh, cats. Oh. Meow. What, what's um, wrong with cats? I, I'm sorry. What you say? Uh, what's wrong with cats? I am. I had a bad experience growing up with cats. I grew up, like I said, in a poor neighborhood. Um, it was actually a neighborhood that uh, it was. Uh, we were the ones who caused, I guess, the white flight. We were we moved into the neighborhood, but a lot <laughs> of whites that lived in the neighborhood had cats, <laughs> and those cats would sit on our porch. And they wouldn't move. Like if I were walking up, they wouldn't move. And it was, I just, no. Wait, so, wait. I know it's a whole, it's, it's, it's layered. It's, it's, got a, it's got a couple of layers to it. So uh, I think I just, I equate that experience of white flight neighborhood. I don't, yeah. You need to tell me these people were like, all right, we're going to leave. But everybody in the neighborhood. So we're leaving our cats. We're leaving cats. We're leaving cats. <laughs> I think that's what happened. <laughs> I really think that's what happened. I never thought of it like that, but now that I, yeah, I think that's what they left their cats. So yeah, I don't like cats. Everybody moved to the French Quarter and said, you know what, we're going to leave our cats behind. We're going to leave right here <laughs> for them. Because they were moving our neighborhood. They can have all these cats. Yes. You're on your mission. So okay, it's it's 2020, and again, I'm 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 on a mission to to build like a a, a petty army. So, are are you petty? I mean, you got your own school, you've written three four books, you got podcasts. You know, are you petty? Um, I think I am petty. Some- okay. Yeah, I think yes. you, yeah, I think you're petty too. Anytime you take the time out to open up that one envelope from unemployment, you got all these other things. You got you got you work on the schedule for next year. You say, you know what? I want to see what this unemployment thing is all about. Now I'm going to no, yes. no, we're going to stop right now. I'm, I'm pretty and sure exactly you call the secretary. Mm-hmm. Yes, you call the secretary. Say, listen, go get me his employment file right now because I know for a fact that. He ain't worked here, and he's not getting any money. I don't care how messed up he is. He could have get that little, that could get that man at three hundred dollars. He said no. He ain't getting nothing. No. Oh, you got me because I was so petty on that one. I must say, I I put my shoes on and I went to the school and got his file. That's how petty mm-hmm. I was. Yes, yes. So. You facing a state audit? You like, you know what? No, we're not doing this right now. Uh uh-uh. uh. No, I need to go and get this piece of paper because ain't no way. Ain't no way he's gonna get three hundred dollars no out of me right now. Ain't no way. Ain't no. I wouldn't have been able to sleep. Mm-hmm. I would not have been able to sleep. So yes, I am petty. That is awesome. You're probably one of the few that actually agreed that they were petty. They, a lot of people always try to fight it, like I'm not petty. And hey, oh, I'm, uh, oh yeah, I, I can definitely be. I would have liked it if you just hired him back. That way he couldn't get any like 
unemployment. Give me his job back. Like, come on, no. We're going no. to hire him back today. She's no, Kareem, he has not worked in five years. I think he might need to kind of. No, that's that's right okay. Here. You hire him, <laughs> right? And then you fire him before the 90 day period is up so he can't get any more unemployment. The views and opinions of Kareem, Teddy Spence, not in the yeah. last yeah. perspective group. We have to say this every podcast. But it's all good. Well, Ariel, we definitely thank you for your time. One more time, where can people find your book and information about the wonderful things that you're doing? Sure, I, and I thank you, thank you, thank you so much for having me on. It was a pleasure uh, talking to you all today. Teachyourownkid.com or ariankrajala.com. Okay, and we like to always end, give our guests the last one of the last words of uh, any words of advice, whether it be for a teacher, someone that's trying to open up their own school, or someone that wants to. Uh, write their own book or any any last words that you want for for the audience out there. Definitely. Um, I think that the the most important thing is to do what do what you are passionate about and keep in keep in mind that no matter what happens, that um, your passion sometimes is going to outweigh the results. But if you stick with it, if you have staying power, then it's going to manifest. The rewards will come. Yes. Jamie, any last word from the little people? Just feeding off of what Ariana said, you know, you can't always look for others to see what you're doing. No one's always going to point out the good of what you're doing. You have to do it for yourself and do it for your students. Mr. Petty, any last word, sir? Well, I'll say that pettiness doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes <laughs> accumulation of things that make you aware that you know what I really am petty. Like denying somebody unemployment, and it's time to meet with in this store, pandemic, and she won't get that man two hundred dollars go to the grocery store. <laughs> yes, sir. Profound, very great. Uh, <laughs> audience, thanks for listening. Again, um, use the time wisely. Uh, we were always talking about doing a self-assessment. Try to find out what your gift is. Start living in your purpose. Um, define your why, because obviously your why, we keep preaching this, that your why is going to push you through the difficult times. It's going to uh, make sure that you stay on the right course. But don't lie about it. Don't say that your why is your family when it really isn't, or your why is whatever, and it really isn't. Look at your behaviors, because your behaviors are going to tell you what your why is. And be honest with it. And do your self-assessment. Um, start living in your gift. Start living in your purpose and start looking for lanes to put those uh, your gift in. And just because it is your gift, your gift is not right for every situation. Make sure you're assessing that. Don't waste your gift on something that is not going to use your gift properly. Um, again, we wish you the best. Stay safe out there, but use this time wisely. Um, and as always, stay empowered.